This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. It's Tuesday, so we're covering a unique AI use case. And we've covered a lot of different use cases over the years, not that many in agriculture. It's not quite as much of a rife venture-backed AI startup ecosystem as, let's say, something like banking or even something like e-commerce. But it is still a space where there's a lot of interesting innovation. When people think AI in agriculture, I think they think about satellite imagery as maybe a first guess or autonomous tractors as maybe a first guess. But what about extracting data from the soil itself? That's quite an interesting value proposition. That's exactly what trace genomics does. Dr. Pornima Paramaswaran happens to be co-founder of Trace Genomics, again, a firm that's raised nearly $25 million to attack this space of soil science and the value of the soil. And she explains in this week's episode how artificial intelligence is being used to extract data from the soil today, um, why that matters for farmers, why that matters for anybody who cares about the environment, and also what that might be leading to in terms of predicting crop yields, in terms of more effectively using fertilizers and pesticides, which as she describes are in large part being wasted uh, in places where they don't necessarily need to be used in contaminating drinking water, contaminating reservoirs. So I'll leave it to Purnima to explain the use case in depth, but I think this is an awful niche and interesting use case, and I hope you'll enjoy it. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud, go check us out on those and make sure that you're subscribed. And if you want to make sure you get new, interesting use cases every Tuesday, then stay subscribed as well on our newsletter. You can go to emerj.com, and down in the footer, you're going to see a place where you can subscribe to our newsletter, and you can sign up there, and you'll receive all of our podcasts into your inbox, in addition to seeing them in your podcast feed. So here we are with Pornima with Trace Genomics here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Pornima, we can hop right in and talk about this kind of core business problem of kind of soil quality and understanding that in farms today. Maybe you could talk about the business value there and how and why it's done, because I think it's new for a lot of the listeners. Sure, Dan. Um, Today, when people typically think about farming and farmers, they think about you know, the person farming, and they think about the crops, so everything that's above ground. Nobody really thinks about or considers the land, the soil on which the crops are grown. That's really not in your visual when you think about farming. And yet, you know, the state of the world is such that if we continue to farm the way we're farming soil and land today, remember, we're not just farming crops, we're farming crops and soil and land there's only 60 cycles left of cropping left on Mm. the land on earth today. So that essentially, another way of saying it is over two thirds of the land today is completely degraded, very degraded to the point where, you know, we're not, we're not going to be able to meet our demands for food, fiber, fuel. Remember, it's not just food, it's also fiber and fuel that are grown from earth. So that's really the biggest problem that we're faced with as a planet. It's not just for our startup, it's for everyone out there. That's the biggest problem. How do you continue to grow food, fiber, and fuel with the resources that we have today while continuing to meet the demands of our growing populations? And that's really where the soil piece comes in is if you look at everything that's being done today to farm, there's so much fertilizer that goes into farming, Hmm. right? There are... Some of the stats out there are staggering. There's 200 million tons of fertilizer that are being used today for farming, for growing our corn, our soy, our even almonds, grapes, you know, anything that you think of as food, 
came from land that was treated with fertilizer at some point. And we don't need all of that fertilizer. The plants don't need all of that fertilizer. In fact, I'd say over a third to half of that fertilizer is not taken up by plants. It's runoff into waters, so it causes water pollution. It causes air degradation. You know, it goes back into the atmosphere and it causes soil degradation, right? And so there's this whole concept of fertilizer overuse that's resulting in soil degradation. Hmm. There is also this area where crops have diseases too. <laughs> plants have diseases too. And one of the number one tools that farmers really have in their toolkit to fight diseases are pesticides. You know, we hear yeah. about pesticides all the time for farming. And typically people think of it in a negative connotation. Oh, it's killing bees. It's killing butterflies. Exactly. Um, yep right? And it's causing soil degradation. But farmers really do need it. Like it is a key tool in their toolkit to fight diseases. If we can help them better understand what's in their soil so they can place these fertilizers and pesticides in the right acres for the right indications, for the right risk mitigation scenarios, that's really where data and intelligence comes in. What is that land telling you? What is that soil telling you before you go in to plant that crop? That's really where data and intelligence about soil is so critical today. And it's so exciting, like all the technologies, where science is, where technology is today, that's where you know, we are at that nexus. Like we are at that frontier where we can bring all of the science and this technology today together to be able to unlock the power of soil, to be able to provide this intelligence to our farmers so that they can make better decisions, not tomorrow, but today. You know, making dirt exciting is hard. You're doing a great job though. You're really doing a great job. Um, and I think that the, the, the three Fs, you said the food, fiber, fuel thing as well, having that big umbrella picture makes it very compelling that, hey, this is a big issue. And you mentioned, what, 200 million pounds was it? Tons. 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 That's Tons incredible. Is that, is that every year yeah. globally or what kind of numbers are we looking at there? What, what does that apply to? That's every year globally. Whoa. So oodles and oodles. I mean, unbelievable. So, yeah, you know, we talk about sort of understanding that that soil in different areas and then being able to get a sense of what are the actual requirements for fertilizer, actual requirements for pesticides. I would take it that the, in terms of business value, so you framed kind of the global potential issue, which I think is compelling. I don't understand the science well enough, but I'm going to take your word for it, you know, compelling kind of bigger picture. At a business level, it feels like, well, are we overspending on fertilizer or are we putting it down somewhere that maybe is going to do more harm than good? Same thing with pesticides. Is the business value sort of how to maximize the use of our resources in terms of buying these things, and then also how to maximize the uh, crop yields or desired results with that acreage. Is that sort of the, the business outcome side, so to speak? Yeah, it's actually both of those apply very well in this um, when we talk about soil and uh, the business case for soil intelligence. I typically think of it in three buckets. One is around what is the um, impact, the economic impact of diseases today, crop diseases today, and what can our customers, the farmers, really the folks at the farm gate gain through the soil intelligence? That's to the tune of about $200 billion every year across the world. That's the economic impact of diseases. 
The second category is around the spend that you talk about uh, related to fertilizers and pesticides. That spend annually worldwide every year is about 245 billion or so. And we already talked about how, you know, anywhere between a third to a half of that is unnecessary because it's not taken up by plants. Those fertilizers and those pesticides, I think they really do need this data-driven placement to help us make sure that we're optimally using these inputs. And so there is a savings there in excess of 100 billion annually worldwide, just from optimal management of input use. The third category is really in this untapped potential of the soil. Soil is often talked about as the last biological frontier in Hmm. agriculture. Um, Last biological frontier period, you know, a lot of uh, sayings around, even uh, from Leonardo da Vinci, you know, where we know a lot more about the celestial uh, bodies above than the ground, uh, the soil underfoot. And the same thing goes for the depths of the oceans. We know a lot more about the depths of the oceans than our soils underfoot. And so in a lot of ways, soil has been talked about as the last biological frontier. And there is this notion of theoretical yield potential. And it really Hmm. comes from understanding what is that soil telling you? How can you optimally fit your that matrix of decisions that you you need to make. There's hundreds of decisions that our farmers and their advisors make at the farm gate every year. How do you fit that matrix to really unlock that yield potential from your acres? That is to the tune of about 20 to 30% or so that remains unlocked. And that is really creating an excess of $250 billion in crop value per year. So that's, I would say those are the three major business drivers here. Cool. Okay. The the business relevance is super important to tune in for the audience. Like, hey, you know, why is this intelligence important? You know, what is this? What is this? doing for us to think about one Jeff Bezos per year of wasted fertilizer and pesticides. That's a, that's a lot of money. One, one Bezos per annum is a substantial sum of money. You know, and again, I don't know the origin of these stats. I'm just taking your word for it, but that's, that's compelling. And I think the, the potential to unlock, I mean, 20% to 30% in any big business metric is gargantuan, right? So, so we've got a good argument here. How is this done today? When we think about, you know, we're a giant farm out in the Midwest. I'm growing corn, I'm growing soy, whatever it is. You know, I've got my equipment, I've got my airplanes for my pesticides. How are we going about soil intelligence as it stands pre-AI, let's say? Sure. So the way in which it's done today is there's a lot of information that farmers um, usually have from historical evidence, right? They've been farming a lot of these lands like year after year, sometimes for generations. And so they do have a lot of that historical context of, hey, this field here has been doing well. This field here didn't do so well last year. I saw a little bit of disease on this field, or I saw a little bit of chlorosis. Um, I need to come in and add more fertilizer, you know, whatever that is, right? And so they make a lot of these observations over time, and they translate that into actions for the next year without necessarily ground-truthing some of their deductions. So in a lot of ways, I'd say they have access to above-ground information like weather, climate data, moisture information, and also obviously previous year's yield data. All of that is available to them and they have a lot of intuition. So it's an art. Um, They look at the data and then they have the user intuition and their expertise and then they make decisions for the next year. And that's really where we are leading in with science when we say, what can we do with soil data and soil intelligence? Like, what is that ground truth? What is that metric, that measurement? And can you measure it year after year and go to bed in peace, like knowing that a lot of your decisions are data-driven, are science-driven, technology-driven? So that's really the shift that uh, we're seeing here with soil intelligence. So it it sounds like, and now this is almost uh, shockingly surprising to me, my presumption would be that there would be some kind of, 
pardon the horrible analogy, I'm a kinesiology uh, biology guy, but like some sort of biopsy, if you will, where we would go down, you know, four feet, six feet, whatever it is, X number of square hectares, who knows, and we'd have some based understanding of relatively speaking, you know, this, this whole area has, you know, been really beat up over the last couple of years. And we need to take that in consideration. The water tables here for some reason are higher than they've been the last six years. And, and that's going to mean, you know, these kind of repercussions. It sounds as though from what you're saying, not so much. So that's where there's been some that's been done, but not the whole picture. Huh, right. Okay. And when we look at soil, what people typically think about soil, it's, it's dirt, it's land. It's actually a living thing. Every tablespoon of soil has billions of microbes in it. Billions. That's mind-blowing. There's more diversity underground than there is above ground combined, right? And yet people think of soil as dirt or the static thing that you put seed in the ground, you add fertilizer yeah, and, input and things yeah. throw a boom, right? And so a lot of the focus has been on the chemical properties of soil, the physical properties of soil, but really it's that combination of chemical, physical, and that biological piece. When I talked about soil being the last biological frontier, it's really the fact that it is alive and that aliveness of soil is what we are harnessing here in combination with the chemical and physical properties. So farmers have been measuring some of the chemical properties to understand how to place some of the fertilizers. But until you know this full picture, this comprehensive soil intelligence, it's really hard, frankly, to make the right optimal combination of decisions. So you're saying that there, even if we do quote-unquote biopsies, Probably a very rough. There's another word in agriculture, I'm sure, for taking a slot of of, uh, of soil. Soil sampling. Yeah, soil sampling. Sure. There we go. So it sounds as though there's another strata of understanding beyond the chemical that has been done and the physical, which has been done apparently, which is the biological. Maybe another set of tests, another way of of testing, another set of things we want to adjust for, calibrate for, in order to know. Where do we need fertilizer? Where do we need pesticides? What should we plant where? It sounds like there's this third dimension that, at least from what you're articulating, is just really not factored into our high-level decision-making for the most part today. It's like how you walk into a doctor's office and you do a physical. The doctor is doing a full physical. The doctor is not just looking at your, you know, the heart rate nutrient uh, property yeah. or, you know, if, no, but heart rate, weight, um, but also like your blood test, right? It's doing a full profile of your blood. So that's exactly uh, what we're moving towards now with science and technologies. Now we have the ability and it's economically possible now to actually offer this at the farm gate, which is what is so exciting because before a lot of the science and technology was so expensive that it was wrapped up in academic institutions institutions or in R&D labs, and it was just not possible to scale it up or to offer it at the farm gate. But then we saw, for example, the genomics revolution really changed the way in which personalized medicine is being done today in the human space. And those are the innovations that we're seeing really being drawn now into the agricultural sector. And those are the breakthroughs, both on the technology side, as well as the economic side that make the science and technology now available at the farm gate. Cool. And now that we can swivel into that. So I think we needed that backdrop because most of the listeners, uh, longtime listeners here have heard, uh, you know, claims processing and insurance or you know, something along those lines, but this is a completely new world and now we've got a basic understanding. So now we can talk about where AI is fitting in, AI and tech in general. Of course, you know, AI is a, a part of the mix, but there's a lot going into sort of what you folks are working on. Where does AI help with this doing the physical and better allocation of resources and optimization of soil? Where does it sort of find its wedge in to the processes today? 
Sure. Um, I actually think it would be helpful to maybe um, for your listeners to uh, hear a little bit about what gets done, like what are the types of science and technologies that are yeah. available to look at soil data and to create the soil intelligence. Awesome. There is soil chemistry, so you can run soil and create dozens of data points around pH, organic matter, what the phosphates are, what the nitrates are. These are all major fertilizer categories that are needed to produce food for crops to grow and be healthy. So there's a dozen or so, in fact, dozen plus parameters on the chemistry side um, that everyone routinely measures. And then there is this whole realm of biological properties. Um, and that's really where you know we are bringing in tools um, like genomics, for example, genomics and DNA sequencing, where from every soil sample, with DNA sequencing being commoditized in the economics at a level where we can now apply it to every um, every soil sample, every soil sample that comes in through our labs, we are creating millions of data points from every soil sample through reading the DNA of that soil sample. And once you create all of that data across all of these tens of thousands of soil samples, um, across all of these hundreds of thousands of acres of farmland, that's a lot of data. And you combine that with above ground data, like what is happening actually out on the fields? Is there a disease? Is the yield, what does the yield look like? What was applied for fertilizer and pesticide on the field? It creates this full set of what's happening above ground. What is the data telling you below ground? And it just creates this incredible knowledge base, this data bank, this database that offers a lot of opportunity for data analysis and for AI. So, uh, yeah, really fascinating, super interesting, very new for me here. What immediately comes to my mind is the following. Number one. This really seems very compelling to be able to have, you know, our, our crop yield data, maybe our satellite imagery data, you know, our, our soil data at the level of granularity you're articulating now, you know, DNA and whatnot. When I think about AI, I'm always very jealous of the Amazons of the world because they have this nice digital ecosystem where everything's nicely trackable and we know what a user does and we follow them all the way through. And by golly, everything's virtual and we, we're tracking it all. In the physical world, Man, what an ugly space, the physical. I mean, it's just so ugly. I mean, to, to match satellite data and be like, oh, this was at the same, I swear it was the same month as this soil thing was taken. And, and, and then to align that with what the crop yields were. Was that from this part of the acre or this other part of the acre? Does that matter? The way to sort of mesh these different data layers on top of each other and also the features we need to train on, right? Where's weather? I mean, weather's got to be in there, right? Um, where's, uh, geez, you name it. I mean, do we need to look at stock prices? I have no idea where it ends, but it feels like to align that many factors in the real world would require such a foundation build of a day of a reliable data pulse that we could somehow quality control to ever think we could start getting, you know, some real value from that. But obviously, you know, I'm not as familiar with the space as you. I'm just thinking about both the opportunities and the real challenges that I see. What's your take there? Because this is really ambitious. Yeah, I'm going to throw another challenge at you too, to add on to that list that you talked about, which is around where is science? Where does science stand? How much do we know about the soil and what can we interpret about the soil data that we are generating and collecting? Yeah, I completely agree with you. In a lot of ways, this is really pointing to what are we doing today and 
what are the possibilities in the future? Like everything I talked about, um, that's really where the industry is headed, right? That we know is where we want to be. That's the perfect world. We want to be able to seamlessly combine and make associations and correlations across all of these yeah. different data layers yeah, and data yeah. sets in real time without a timeline, right? Cool, that's really yeah. where we want to be. And that would be super cool. But where we are today is one, we know very little about the soil, even from a science perspective. <laughs> It's funny. It's we really probably funny know to think only about. like 1% to 10%. And there's so much to be unlocked about the soil. And so I'd say that, you know, where we are starting is really around focusing on what is top of mind for our customers at the farm gate. At the farm gate, our customers really think about where their money is going. What are the big spend items? The big spend items are typically land labor and also inputs inputs like seed what type of seed do i buy do i buy a seed that is resistant resistant to this disease i care about yep. so even if i have a land piece of land that has like that is high disease risk I am still going to get a crop out of it if I can plant the right seed. And then the other part of it is how can I make sure that that plant is healthy and I get the ROI for my yield through applying the right amount of fertilizer so I'm not applying too much because I don't want to overspend. No farmer wants to overspend on fertilizer. Uh, I don't want to overspend on pesticides. If I don't have disease risk, why should I even apply pesticides, right? No farmer wants to do that. And But the problem is they don't have those tools today, right? And so that's those are the set of tools that soil intelligence can deliver today to make an impact. And that's what we're doing, which is look at it by crop. You're creating a lot of intelligence, a lot of data, distill it down into consumable, digestible insights at the farm gate. And what that means for our farmers is around what are the top disease risks? I'm growing corn or soy. Tell me what are my top disease risks for corn or soy. Don't tell me what my diseases are for strawberries. Like I'm not growing strawberries, right? I just want crop specific disease risks. So we do that. And we tell them which fields are hot or cold for diseases, essentially. Mm. And that allows them to plan, to make decisions around spend, decisions around what to plant where, which are key for farmers. The other area is really around under helping them understand what not just the farmers, but also companies that are making inputs like seeds and pesticides, fertilizers. Some companies are also making these things, which are essentially probiotics for the soil, um, hmm. biologicals, they're called. Okay. They are um, derived from microbes or they're derived from bugs in the soil or they're actually bugs that you add to the soil to confer specific functionalities. Like maybe they make the crop healthier or they make the crop more resistant to disease. And so there's all of these different ways in which manufacturers of these products want to understand what their products are doing to the soil. So does the farmer. The farmer wants to know, hey, I'm applying a product to my field. What is that product doing to the soil? I want to do a before and after testing, or I want to only apply it on the acres that need it the most. So that's, those are all like areas which are low-hanging fruit where soil intelligence and data can make an impact today. Got it. Okay. Okay. So we have this future vision, which, and who knows what the future holds, but it's, it's compelling in theory here that we you know, satellite data, yield data, some some way of quantifying disease percentage within a given acre and all the soil data and have some pulse on all of that, which would be, you know, amazing and astounding. And it'll take us a bit to, to get there, but could clearly see yeah, the value. Yeah, and there's, right. And there's already some capture 
uh, some capture that is um, standardized with different platforms. So there are um, different farm management softwares or even software that's installed in tractors that is tracking yields, that is capturing cool. some of this okay. weather great, data great. and yeah. actually digitizing it for for future use. And so some of those data layers, we're already starting to pull in, work with a little bit. A lot of these data layers around yield exist on tractors. You know, there's farm management software that's also pulling in some of this information based on GIS coordinates. Um, there are some databases and satellite um, data that farmers can already access. And there's a lot of other startups and other companies in this space that are in the business of converting satellite imagery into, for example, yield proxies or yield data. Yes. Um, and there's drone imagery uh, companies as well, specifically for agricultural applications. And so all of these data layers exist. There's a lot of innovation that's happening in parallel in those areas too. And uh, we're being laser focused on soil. You know, we're really pulling in some of those data layers, working with very specific clients um, and tying the soil data back to yield. We're already doing some of that. And it's just going to grow. The efforts in that space are going to grow and balloon and blossom in the next five years. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to, I mean, understanding how this has worked out in manufacturing and finance and whatever, the eventual squaring of the circle of the kludge of different vendors and different formats and different whatever, obviously you're going to have to figure out what vendors you want to work with or not. And there's going to be a lot of considerations around unifying that. But it sounds like from what you're saying, there's already some efforts to sort of crisscross some of those and some efforts to, to glean some value. Like you said, you're working on particular projects there. So it sounds like there's already a little bit of promise, even where we are today, that, hey, these data layers are going to be able to inform each other and inform decisions. Yeah, and there is some good precedence in the agriculture industry too. Like there's some good API connectivity already. Precedence for that exists across platforms to other startups that are using those uh, data layers. And really at the center of all of this is making sure that we keep our customers' data, the privacy pieces should be airtight, right? And that is really top of mind for us. And that's really what we operate around um, as a company, as do most of the other companies in the space too, is how do you adhere to making sure that you are, uh, the data privacy pieces are airtight? Yeah, well, I, I think any any vendor dropping the ball on that in their entirety probably would not admit so much on a on a podcast. So certainly, yes, your data as Citibank's data, as anybody else's data, that's got to be a concern because there's so much of it flying around. I want to wrap up, uh, Pernima, because I know you had asked about it, uh, you know, off mic here around maybe if you have one more little glimpse here as to where we want to go. If you have a way of nutshelling kind of what that future zeitgeist or vision is, I'm happy to spill a couple minutes and and really get your thoughts on what you're excited about for the future. We've talked about some of it, but maybe you've got, you know, a part of it you'd love for the audience to really uh, understand and be able to see the, some of the same things you're seeing. Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, the future vision, it's really about how can we build this whole system of agriculture and the inputs that we're making for farming, learning from nature, learning from what's out in the field. If you look at where how fertilizers, pesticides, et cetera, are made today, it's really all about what starts in a lab context, and then it goes from lab to field trials out to the farm gate. The system that we're creating, the platform that we're creating of the soil intelligence, it's really about understanding and having a pulse on what is happening out in the field today and over time and bringing in that information, that intelligence to really make 
the right inputs for the future, using the data from real life to really fuel R&D, to fuel discovery, both in terms of microorganisms that are making an impact. You know, when we think about microbes in the soil, the biology of the soil, how can that be used for building the next generation of disease suppressive compounds or disease suppressive inputs so that farmers can do better at suppressing disease, managing their risk around diseases. There is a whole other sector around, you know, it's so interesting too, when you look at soil health to human health, there is a line there, very strong connection between soil health and human health from the lens of therapeutics. You may not know this. I I don't think a lot of people know this, actually, which is that over 90% of antibiotics that are in use today come from bugs that reside in the soil. That is absolutely not a fact I was aware of. And I would suspect that essentially everybody listening is going to be very surprised by that. There is the whole piece around uh, discovering antibiotics and the promise of soil intelligence for discovering antibiotics um, for human health. There are also a lot of other anti-cancer therapeutics that have also originated from bugs in the soil. And yeah, so the, the, uh, the application, the promise of soil data and intelligence as generated specifically from bugs in soil, the microbes in soil, for human therapeutic discoveries and applications is just incredibly large. And it's something that I'm very passionate about personally. The um, last part of it is also when you think about the soil, there is no map for the soil. We have Google Maps to help take us where we want to go. What we're creating here with this platform is essentially a Google map for the soil. And that opens up the possibilities for a lot of other applications, including using this data for things like valuation. What is that land value? Right now, it's very, it's based on a lot of subjective metrics. But if we could lead in with science and data and truly measure the value of land, there's a lot of applications in the financial sector too there. And that's really where the soil intelligence piece creates a platform that is very unifying led by science, led by data, and brings stakeholders from not just the food and ag ecosystem to the table, but also human health, the financial sector. It creates an even playing field, and it really creates this unifying language um, across the across the ecosystem. Yeah, to, to see where the Cambrian explosion of agriculture, or in this case, soil data leads us in terms of business models and business value, I think is going to be exciting, but it sounds like you folks have your hands in a whole bunch of different parts of it. So I'm wishing you well. And Pranima, I have to say, I can probably speak for everybody listening to this episode that soil has never been more exciting than it has been on this podcast. So thank you for uh, enlightening us on that front and joining us here on the AI and Business Podcast. Happy to be here, Dan. Thanks so much for having me on the show. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, you like the variety of different companies and use cases that we're covering, drop us a five-star review on iTunes or on what is now called Apple 
podcast. That's where most folks find the show, and it sure means a lot when people share their appreciation of what they learn here. Also, let us know what you like most, what episodes really hit home, because that kind of feedback is what helps us build our future interviewee backlog, as well as the different topics and questions that we ask folks. So it really is your feedback that helps to mold things. So check us out on iTunes, drop a five-star review. It sure would mean the world. And be sure to follow us on social at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You can find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and on Facebook. And stay up to speed with all of our latest articles, our research reports, white papers, and coverage of artificial intelligence business implications. So we'll wrap up this episode. I'll catch you for Thursday here on AI and Business.